Hello and welcome to Lawrence Forking, Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen. And today we're interviewing Paul Harper O'Connor of Paul's Better Bakery. Today we're talking with owner Paul Harper O'Connor of Paul's Better Bakery. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, for any listeners who haven't uh, experienced the delicious goods that Paul makes, uh, Paul's Better Bakery, um, you really specialize, you have have macaroons, uh, you have some delicious uh, salted chocolate-covered caramels, and then you even have um, a new offering uh, that we're excited to talk about today as well. Uh, like a French cheese puff. I'm going to butcher the name, but Gougeres. Um, we really love, I, I just, uh, what we really love about what you're doing is just, uh, everything is just so, um, I don't know, every, er, everything we've had from you is just very well executed. Like just everything tastes great. It, you can tell there's a lot of thought, a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a hand, hand done process and you can tell it's, it's really good. So anyway, we love what we're excited to hear about um, kind of how, how this came to be and kind of learn more about um, what, what goes into all these uh, delicious goods that I just want to keep eating. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Lawrence originally? No, I actually grew up in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, and um, when I was 19, I had met my soon to be husband and we moved to Maui and so in Hawaii. And so wow. we've lived there for about 30 plus years, 31 years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my brother had gone from Wichita to KU and uh, ended up moving here in Lawrence. And uh, then in the last few years, my brothers, I'm, I'm sorry, my parents moved up as well. And so I've been visiting Lawrence as well with my brother and my parents. Mm-hmm. And so uh, eventually we made the decision to move to Lawrence. Wow. Wow. When was that? Uh, only fairly re- recently, right? Yeah. September of last year. Oh, wow. Okay. So in the midst of the pandemic con- <laughs> contemplations like everyone's had, sure. we decided, you know what? We've uh, done enough time in Hawaii. It's been painful in Hawaii, but no, I just didn't. <laughs> Sorry, man, but, uh, that's, that's a hard move. <laughs> yeah. Hard to give up Hawaii, we, I would think. We've yeah. had enough uh, temperate climates since so we're ready to try out uh, <laughs> Kansas again. And, you know, I got to say, I'm enjoying the change of seasons. It's really, really been exciting and fun to do that again. And so really, really enjoy it. So then did you have, you know, so coming out here, I mean, did you have any food, food, you know, background or or anything like that? Or was this kind of like moving out here, kind of new thing to try out or? So I, I, you know, like most uh, teenagers, I worked in some different restaurants and different things mm-hmm. in Wichita growing up. And then I was uh, assistant manager of a pasta restaurant for a while there before I moved uh, to Hawaii. And so then I just went into healthcare and worked in healthcare for almost 30 years. And uh, honestly, I just sort of developed a uh, penchant for YouTube and mm-hmm. watching videos to distract myself from stressful times at work. And uh got into exploring, you know, the big question I had, uh, Jake might appreciate this, is how do you get the stuff inside of chocolate? <laughs> how does that work? Yeah. And so that was my first foray into YouTube was to try to figure out how they got the stuff in there to stay and close and all that. So I kind of explored chocolates on YouTube and found that uh, the cooking and the baking thereafter was a real nice uh, distraction from my full-time job. 
and became something that I had a lot of passion for and it brought a lot of joy mm -hmm. to my life. Wow, that's awesome. So how long have you been sort of experimenting? I think probably since 2014, I really started oh, wow. getting yeah. into to doing different things and it just became a labor of love and I would just be working at home and baking things and taking them to work. And, uh, you know, my husband was a high school teacher. And so oh. if I had a lot of stuff I would make and just needed to get rid of it, mm -hmm. it was always easy for him to take it to school. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I got the taste critics of the students uh, to give me <laughs> feedback along the oh, way. Oh, I'm sure. And, yeah, I'm uh, sure they yeah. were pretty, you know, generous with their feedback in high <laughs> yeah, school. They yeah, they weren't too shy. But after a while, they kept saying, Mr., would you please have your husband make this again? <laughs> you know, make this one. That's my favorite. And Aww. so I would always get a report back on the feedback. So, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So when did you sort of pivot to, well, I guess I should ask, are you, um, are you still in healthcare or are you sort of full-time bakery? Uh, full-time bakery. I still That's have awesome. my RN license. It's one of those things I didn't want to let go of. For sure. So I worked too hard on that. Yeah. So I still have my license now in Kansas, uh, but uh, I sort of officially quote unquote retired. And so uh, my goal has been to kind of figure out a way to uh, support my hobby and habits uh, of, of getting into stuff and enjoy the toys that I'm able to get for this uh, project and to be able to do this full time. And it just really means a lot to me to make things and really the smiles. It's, it's all about the smiles. It's about people uh, having joy. And it's about uh, me being a little bit of a part of that. I think it's sort of an extension of my nursing background as well, mm -hmm. is just wanting to be the one to help people in a time of need. And, you know, uh, through the pandemic, you know, I kept bringing the stuff at work and all this stuff, uh, and it just, uh, it felt good. And so I realized that was something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, last year in the uh, January or so, I enrolled in a, a college course or a, a community continuing education course on how to start a small business. So I had intentions in Hawaii to do some sort of um, uh, bakery business of some variety. Uh, and I just didn't really know how it would work out. I kind of made a goal for myself to uh, give Diana Ross, who was going to be in concert on Maui in July, uh -huh. uh, give her a box of my cookies and maybe see if she could like mention it. Mm. And so during the course, uh, the time of the course, I should say, uh, that's when COVID hit. Mm. And so then uh, the plans got changed a little bit. And so I realized Diana wasn't going to get <laughs> to see my macarons. Uh, but I was able to get some taste tests and kind of understand the business of bakery and uh, learn a little bit from that. And so it's just been a journey since then. Yeah, because I always imagine, like, you know, it's one thing to like make make this stuff, you know, in your home and do all that. But then it's like a next level to kind of now make that transition to say, all right, how, how do I make this at a... Like a bigger scale. Know, and, bigger scale yeah. or just, you know, selling it. So do you have to like, did you have to, do you work out of like a commercial kitchen or, or something like that or... So I was fortunate when we have we have our house here in Lawrence, mm -hmm. and so I was able to move here. And uh, over the course of uh, several months, when we moved here in September, kind of learned the regulations. Mm -hmm. I was looking at Culinary Commons to rent space there. Mm -hmm. I was looking at renting space from other uh, restaurants and uh, cafes and different things for their space. And I realized after going through all the regs and I have a history of working in healthcare regulations uh, as well. And so um, 
I was able to read all the regs of KDA and, and such and realized that I could actually uh, get a licensed commercial kitchen in my home. Oh, and so go. it's a separate kitchen. It's its own square footage and it's separate. And I uh, actually was able to get an inspection uh, done of my kitchen. And uh, that was on February 4th. The inspector came, spent uh, about three hours in my home reviewing my process, watching me do some cooking. Uh, inspecting the area, you know, we're talking three compartment sink, we're talking the big shebang of everything, you know, the electrical, the mm -hmm. equipment, and all that stuff to be a proper licensed kitchen. And uh, by seven o'clock, uh, I was selling, selling cookies and scheduled for delivery the next day. So wow. it was just like, boom. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. That's uh, that's really nice too. I mean, it's convenient, convenient, uh, obviously, to have it in your house and, and all that. That's Oh, I've never heard of that. It's That's like the ultimate work from home. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. So definitely. Cause I, you know, I'm not a morning person. So the idea of, uh, being able to really start the baking and all that stuff at, you know, one or two in the afternoon mm -hmm. and sort of honestly be able to finish it around 11 o'clock at night, you know, coming upstairs for dinner and checking on the dog and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And just sort of you know, talking to the mailman or whatever, just doing all that stuff just from your home. If I was going to have to drive to another location mm -hmm. to do that stuff, mm -hmm. the quality of life wouldn't be there and it would yeah. be not, oh, not really cool. probably worth it. Yeah, yeah. Especially, yeah, especially with baking stuff. You know, there is a lot of times there's a, a wait period, you mm -hmm. know, wait for a yeah. little bit. So it's nice if you're home, you can, oh, I can, yeah, like you said, do, do something else. Do the laundry else. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a lot of dishwashing in uh, bakery business. <laughs> yes, That's what I, I really it. realized. Yeah. A whole lot of dishwashing. Yeah, lots of trays, a lot of big things. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, so so the products that you started with, was it, was macarons the first thing you started um, selling or it was a yeah. camels as well. I think I started both of them together okay. and I think, uh, I really enjoy making macarons. Mm -hmm. They're uh, a complicated, uh, product to make. They are very, uh, uh fussy, mm -hmm. I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a tendency to not turn out right. And so I've been fighting with them literally for six years or seven years now. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I kind of figured out how to make them and, um, but I didn't want to just be the macaron guy. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of also really love caramels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that really, really likes caramels. And you get a cookie, or I'm sorry, you have a chocolate box. And I am just figuring out the shapes to make sure I get the caramel out. <laughs> and I want a caramel that's really big enough to kind of have multiple bites. Mm -hmm. And the same with the macarons. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to have a, a macaron and be able to enjoy it to go on. And so the idea of really tiny macarons just didn't, uh, didn't appeal to me mm -hmm. and a tiny caramel didn't appeal. So I wanted to be able to offer a little variety. And so I, I decided to just go for it and see what the interest would be. That's awesome. Cause yeah, I was always, well, you know, they saw macarons. I'm like, Oh man, that's quite a, quite a thing to start with. Cause yeah, like you said, they are, they are finicky. <laughs> they are you fussy, know, yeah. yeah. And it, it takes, it takes a lot of probably patience to, to, to build that skill, but that, you know, it, so what um, so what inspired you to start there? Did you have a did, did you have any experience with macarons in the past, and you just really wanted to recreate a flavor, or was it just was it like a YouTube suggested video, and then that kind of started? <laughs> you know, it, it probably was a YouTube suggested video, yeah. and I <laughs> That's and I awesome. think I, I I was enjoying watching the pain of other people suffer through trying to get them right, <laughs> uh -huh. and then you know you'd get the one video where you know it's no problem to make them, and so I thought you know I'll try that, and I think I'd seen. 
during my experimentation, I think I'd seen like the Great British Bake Off mm -hmm. do some episodes of making those, and they just, you know, can whip it out in no time. It's just so easy, and I just fought and fought and fought and fought with these cookies to make them work. And uh, I remember uh, posting on Facebook to my friends that I was a rock star because I'd made macarons, and they were the ugliest looking cookies you can imagine. They were just bumpy and irregular and just terrible. But I was had that sense of pride and uh, and the kids at school said they tasted good. <laughs> so <laughs> I kept going, yeah. I kept going. Oh, that's awesome. Well, they are beautiful. I mean, they're yeah. so, it's like incredible. Like they, I don't know, to me, they look like they're like factory made or something. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine bumpy after seeing you know the product that you've made. And I'm like, wow, it's, yeah. Cause yeah, they're just so perfectly round. So. So, so what is it? You know, I wanted to talk a little bit for, for listeners, like, um, where are, what is like that process for, for making macarons, you know? And like, what are the, how do you get the texture? So, uh, the macaron is basically a, um, meringue type of cookie. And so it has, uh, whipped egg whites and then there's different techniques. There's the Italian technique, the French technique and the Swiss technique on how you incorporate your batter into the meringue okay. to be able to get it to a cookie stage. And so I use the Italian method, which basically is making an egg white meringue and then adding uh, boiling sugar water to the solution to stabilize the meringue. Hmm. And then you add it separately to almond flour and powdered sugar with some additional egg whites in there to a paste. And then you add your color and then you mix it all together to the proper consistency. And uh, that's a lot of the technique for avoiding the bumpiness and things because oh you can overbeat it, you can underbeat it. And um, and I've done every single range of that in my career. I've created uh, some really pancakes, you know, and, and some fluff, overly fluffy ones that sort of deflate and are hollow and different things. So that's the process. And then you have to bake them off, you know, properly and uh, not too hot, not too, not too cool and it's just real fussy but uh once you you know i think i've made now or sold i should say i think over twelve thousand uh macarons in, in the six months that i've uh, been wow. doing this business wow it's incredible i, I just can't believe it wow I think that is over incredible. over over two thousand caramels over twelve thousand uh, macarons it's wow. just amazing I would have never thought I would have done this much. I feel I feel like I've done that much. <laughs> I bet, yeah, that'll keep you busy. I feel like I've made a lot of cookies. Wow. So, yeah. so how many can you make in a day? I could do math if I wasn't lazy, but how like what does that work out to? What's uh, your average, I, I guess? You know, I can I can whip out the shells in about I can get about eight and a half dozen shells in about two hours. Eight and a half and dozen then, shells. Wow. But then you have to have your filling ready, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of stages in, in making these right. things. But, you know, like uh, all food production, I'm learning the secret is to have your ingredients and everything prepared. Mm. So pre-measuring out your ingredients so you're not just, you know, re-measuring everything. And mm -hmm. one of the things with uh, macarons that uh, makes it fussy is a lot of times uh, people have learned they need to actually sift the almond flour and the powdered sugar. So actually sift the almond flour three times. So every batch of cookies, the almond flour has been sifted three times, mm. and then I'm throwing out the excess uh, uh, almond flour that's just too big because that's how you get your smooth shells. Because mm. those tiny little bits of almond flour that are 
bigger than they should be will end up creating the irregular surfaces oh, and the bumpy surface of the cookie. That definitely sounds like a step that I personally would ignore and then be like, why didn't they turn yeah. out like it said? You know? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I definitely went without doing that yeah. several times. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds you know, like try, it's... Try once or try twice or, yeah, so. Wow. Was it hard? I was just thinking, was it hard, you know, if, if you were, had been experimenting, you know, in a different kitchen and then now you move to your, like, you know, your industrial kitchen here, like to use a different oven. I imagine that's a oh, yeah. whole different thing too. Yeah, definitely. On, on, in Maui, we had a, a, a electric convection oven. Mm. And then on, uh, when we moved here, I tried using my regular non-convection oven. And uh, it's just very different. Yeah. And then I got my commercial oven downstairs and had to relearn how to, what, you know, the temperature has to be adjusted, the timing and all of that. And so now I have a second commercial oven downstairs uh, and it actually you know, I've been fighting with it and uh, trying to make sure that I have the proper temperature. And so I actually mm -hmm. separate the trays when I pull them out of one oven. I separate which ones are from the right oven, which ones are from the left, because mm -hmm. I'm constantly looking at how they turn out to figure out, do I need to adjust the temp? Do I need to adjust the time? Yeah. And uh, and all that stuff, because it's, uh, it's pretty fussy. Yeah. yeah, every oven's really different. Yeah, I I, I, that's why yeah, I, I, I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah, ovens are just so, uh, to have to rely on that on such a, you know, I think most products, you know, can usually get away with a little bit of the variability, but I was thinking, yeah, this one would not, this would not uh, just let you, let you easy into a new oven, so. <laughs> yeah, and then with, you know, making the gougere, uh, which is at a whole nother temperature, I now have to turn the dial on the oven and unfortunately it's a dial for the temperature and so you have to I'm photo constantly photographing the dial at where it was last and now you have to remember is that the photograph of the left or the right oven and so, uh, to make sure you get it back where you want it to be um so you mentioned like the the fillings too I mean so that's the other awesome thing so I mean yeah obviously the 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 shells are are, are definitely probably the the more technically challenging, but the, what you do with the those fillings are are, are awesome. I mean, so what, what kind of inspires them? I, I mean, what do you have? You have like there's uh, a ganache and butter, um, buttercream and yeah. Yeah, jams. I think I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, I think thirteen flavors right now, Man. and so uh, that's a lot uh, yeah. of different flavors. And I wanted to provide some variety, so I started off with uh, pretty much I think uh, six flavors to start with five or six flavors to start with. And then it's just sort of built up over time and uh, just wanting to provide variety and knowing that there's always a, people are always a fan favorite for one flavor or another. Uh, and I don't wanna, part of the idea behind the name of the Paul's Better Bakery is you know, uh, just that if I can't make it better, then I don't make it. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times, you know, I would try out a, a, a recipe uh, that I'd come up with and tweak and uh, bring it upstairs and my husband would give a taste to it and he'd I'd say how was it you know and I, I would just assume you know always the first batch is the best batch <laughs> and so then uh, he was like oh, it's okay <laughs> so th that was the 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 key word to okay next you next, know and yeah. so you know version 12 of a recipe to get it just right and so uh, I'm always hearing, I think maybe a little more, a little more, a little more. And so <laughs> that ends up where I uh, go for is trying to make that flavor that really pops mm -hmm. and the flavor that hopefully you can remember. 
where do you get like the ingredients for all that too? Because I, I would. There's some sort of like specialty things I would assume. So where do you where are you able to you know find some of them from? Yeah, I've I've uh, I get a lot of my most of my chocolate I get from a, a chocolate distributor that's based in uh, Texas, and so I'm able to get their stuff shipped, and which is a challenge in the the heat of late and everything. Yeah. I bet. But it's pretty impressive how well they package these things with ice, you know, the gel packs and all that stuff. So I get a lot of my chocolates from. Um, from a Texas distributor, and the chocolates that I use are from Belgium and France. Oh, wow. So the, I try, I don't skimp on the the, the better part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to make sure that you can taste, because I really can taste the difference between a, a chocolate that's not a real chocolate versus a compound chocolate, which means it's made with vegetable oil versus cocoa butter. And then um, my other filling ingredients, uh, I'm able to identify several uh, farms both in California and on the East Coast that actually produce the products, whether it's the black currants or the uh, pistachios or the uh, passion fruit or the mango uh, and, there, and different things like that. And so um, it's been really exciting to kind of figure out where I can get what. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm trying to foray more so into what's available here in, in uh, Kansas and in Lawrence. And so I've identified a, a flower in um, Kansas, that's made in Kansas that I'm going to start using. Cool. And then um, I, with my Gougere, I think one of the things that I really enjoy is the garlic chives that mm. I use in there just to get that little different flavor. So I think I've bought about 40 garlic chive plants from Pines. And so <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I have a small little farm <laughs> going with, with the, the garlic chives. Yeah, I bet that's fun to play with the different, you know, different options too of kind of, you know, what, you know, seeing what works because the, the the shell itself that that is always the same flavor mm -hmm. right that is just yeah. i mean you do awesome colors on yeah, that super it, vibrant colors <laughs> yeah it, is that just i'm assuming that's just there's just a, like gel colorings or, or something that you add or is that i actually I, I use mostly i do some gel occasionally but mostly i use powder oh, okay. oh, wow, so okay. if you think about you know paint uh, paint elements or paint you know what makes a paint a paint those different um substrates you know these uh powders are made mm -hmm. uh, with pigments that are really strong. And then what you learn over time is how to utilize them. Some of them actually, the color will bloom mm. uh, based on how long it's in contact with moisture. Oh, and yeah. so the longer you wait, it will bloom more vibrantly. And if you wait too long, it will dull. And otherwise, uh, the temperature also affects um, how much it would dull the color or keep it bright. So you're always trying to not cook them too long to brown and be able to cook them long enough to be finished but not lose the color so it's a, a lot of trial and error with that mm -hmm. as well tell us a little bit more about the caramels they're Our salted espresso first of all yes. and they're so good really intense espresso flavor yeah like, um, you, like you mentioned too i love the size I love yeah the, I think <laughs> it, it is like it's a it's a good bite because well, otherwise yeah. if they're small you end up eating like you know three or four of them i wanted to make them last that was the idea behind that the caramels uh, as well are you mentioned about the oven temper oven temperatures and the variability with that you know even cooking in different climates you know the cooking temperature of what I would go up to with the caramel in Hawaii is different than I can go to here in Lawrence mm -hmm. uh, because there's 
just a few degrees difference between a piece of toffee and uh, a caramel. And I like toffee as well, but if you're going for, if you're sinking into that caramel thinking mm -hmm. you're going to get a little resistance, but you're getting a, a, you know, like an ice cube, then it's a, it's a, it's a fine line between that. Totally. So, yeah. so why, um, espresso caramels? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I have probably had them before, but it's just, it's like so good and it's not necessarily what I would expect, I guess. I don't know to have that like coffee taste in there too, but it is like amazing. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. Yeah. I've just, uh, you know, I remember as a child always, uh, when you go for that candy box or the chocolate box and then you get a, a coffee one, I remember just hating that and just being so, uh, you know, disappointed to get that. But as I've gotten older, I really appreciate the flavor of the coffee. And, uh, and I've got, went through my espresso phase when I was you know, drinking espresso every day and all that. And I just think that, the espresso pairs nicely with the salt and the sweet and uh, provides a little bit of uh, contrast to one another. Totally. And uh, the ground espresso powder that I use, you know, is just, it's the real deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, you got to mix it properly because otherwise you can get a little clump. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always trying to make sure that I mix it up properly. But I think that it's uh, really, really nice. Really yeah, nice. it does pair well with that. It, it's a yeah, and you use like a, a, fair, a fairly fairly dark chocolate, right? It's like yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's about a sixty four percent chocolate. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I think that that does do a nice job too. And, and what about the salt? I mean, the salt really adds a lot too. Man, getting yeah. those little crystals. What a is there a specific uh, like kind that you use? Or? Well, it's called fleur de sel. Oh, it's yeah. uh, I think it's think it's flower of the sea is what fleur de sel means mm -hmm. like could be wrong someone will correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but uh i just uh, think it's a real kind of sexy looking piece of salt yeah and uh i do love salt and uh mm -hmm. I, I always said that i actually am more of a savory person than a sweet person but i think baking and cooking the candies right now i have a tendency to always want to try other people's uh sweets as well mm -hmm. and so i think that that salt just provides a nice mouth feel as well as a contrast with the sweetness of it, uh, but um, I, I love uh, I love caramel. What can yeah. I say? And to you know, to, how do you go about coating the the the, car the chocolate the caramels as well? I mean, I imagine that's a bit of a process too to kind of. Yeah, yeah. I think right now I'm. Uh, I think I did the math one time because I'm a bit of a, a, a math and a computer geek kind of mm -hmm. guy. But I think it takes probably about. Uh, one one and three quarter minutes per caramel to be able to do the dipping process because I dip them twice and so uh, basically I use sort of like a fork basically to dip it in the tempered chocolate mm -hmm. and uh, then that's got to cool and then you you go and do a second uh, second uh, dip on that and uh, those little guys like to jump back in the pool a lot of times when they're uh, being dipped they slide off and uh -huh. uh, and other times they won't come off the fork and all sorts of things but it's a a process to make sure that those guys uh, behave when they're getting dipped. So <laughs> there is a few triple or quadruple dipped caramels uh, floating around out there as well. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, you know, it's hard to, you know, you want to, you, you can't, you, you want to have a nice smooth top too. So it's like you gotta, yeah, you yeah. gotta watch how you handle it too. But mm -hmm. you know, can't, you gotta make sure it it stays smooth. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I can't imagine how much time that takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, think yeah. I, made, I made truffles like one time and I was like, yeah, I'm good. I've made truffles once. And it was just, you know, I mean, they turned out like pretty good, but um, it was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it was very messy. My hands were super messy. I didn't have a good system down, but um, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I look back at some photos of my early caramels, and they look more like uh, turtles. They were just s sort of splattered all over the tray. And again, I was so proud. You know, right. it's well, every yeah. you got to be proud of every step you take. Oh, absolutely! Uh, and your every accomplishment. Learning, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good fun with that. It's uh, cool, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned about the chocolate yeah. earlier, and I think it's worth mentioning that. You know, the tempering of the chocolate is no easy feat. Yeah. Not, not trying to pat myself on the back with it, but again, just to point out how many things I had to learn and how many failures I've had, you know, to be able to make 40 or 80 caramels and dip them twice and come back in an hour and they've bloomed, you know, where the color goes off. Uh. And, uh, and they still go to school, to the high school, you know, <laughs> back then, you know, and the kids still say they're good. But just uh, uh, if you don't do it properly, it's really disappointing. And you want to oh, make yeah. sure that it's got work. that snap and it's got the real texture and it, it holds up the shine. Uh, so, uh, so it's, are a, it's you a doing challenge. That tempering just all by like manually kind of just yeah. like over? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Every batch of caramel mm -hmm. is dipped with uh, tempered chocolate. Man. How do you make yeah. how do you make sure you cool it? It properly too, you know, the temp you know. That's tricky with caramel, I would think. Yeah. Well, with the caramel, um, if you think about the, uh, you know, pr production, you use a mold for the caramel. So you pour the boiling caramel into a mold and let that set, mm -hmm. and it's got to be cooked to the right temperature to set properly. Otherwise, when you take it out of the mold, it sort of turns into a, a blob on the table. Mm -hmm. So you, you set it, and then you're able to uh, dip it. Mm -hmm. and go from there and uh yeah because I, I i always yeah always you have the the warm caramel but then the chocolate needs to cool down you got to make yeah. sure that's yeah or, yeah or if you cool the caramel too much and you put chocolate on it now you've, you've kind of yeah. flash cooled it i'm sure yeah 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 with caramels it's definitely a multi-step process yeah. the same with the macarons you mm -hmm. know you have your making of the shells then you have your wait have your wait period to do the filling the caramels you make the caramel at one point and then you go back and do the the dipping hmm. uh, when you have the time to commit to three hours <laughs> to be able to do a batch of caramels oh, dipping only so yeah yeah it's crazy that really it really gives you an appreciation for yeah the, 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 what goes into it yeah so then the gougere that is it seems to me like you know it's like a bit of a sort of a departure in that it's more of like a savory thing and it's you mm -hmm. know um more like a like a pastry rather than like a sweet confectionery, confectionery yeah. type thing so kind of where did that inspiration come from is that something you had just started you know kind of making at home or yeah i i had you know one of the phases you know besides the pickling and the fermenting and all the different things that i'd gone through all these different phases was uh doing you know cream puffs and eclairs and types of things like that uh, so it started with that same dough is called patachou mm -hmm. and that's the dough that's used to make uh gougeres as well so having watched a million videos on how to make eclairs, you know, you periodically see something pop up about this thing and my love of salt and uh, savory things kind of made me want to try this gougere. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it just became a fan favorite at, at my house actually. And it became something that we always had gougere in the freezer and they just pop them in the oven and they're there for dinner. And it's just, you know, can't go wrong for an egg sandwich on the weekend. It's Ooh. just perfect. Mm -hmm. It's really, really good. So, um, just had my husband's just like, when are you going to offer those? When are you going to offer those? And <laughs> so, uh, uh, one of the struggles that I have with uh, growing the business is just recognizing the investment and time it takes to research the packaging. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. it was probably my least favorite part of the job is 
trying to figure out and find the appropriate size packaging to fit the product. And mm -hmm. so uh, we finally were able to find the right kind of box and I got a pink box, yeah. which is fitting with my theme. Cause mm -hmm. I think that French patisseries, you know, often that I'd gone to in France uh, were had a pink motif. And so to me that says patisserie. Yeah. And so that's uh, where I end up with this pink color. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But I, I love the, I do, I do love the boxes that they come in, like the the, the macarons and all. Oh all, yeah, because like it's a got nice like long the box and you can and push it out and pulls yeah. out. Yeah, it just feels it's just like part of it. You know, it just feels more yeah. like elevated, like something that's really like special you're getting for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy it's with that. It's definitely a part of the out. experience, and um, mm -hmm. it works on us like psychologically. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's just really fun. Yeah, that's cool. But um, what's the process for making gougeres? Uh, it's basically a pate choux is basically made with a mixture of either water or milk um, that's heated uh, with butter and then it creates a, a boiling liquid and then you add your flour uh, to uh, that uh, saucepan hmm. and then you stir it and it becomes just a big ball of, of kind of dough in the saucepan and then you actually cook it in the saucepan and you're letting some of the steam burn off of the, the dough while it's heated up still mm -hmm. and then you slowly uh, get that into a mixer cool it down and then you would slowly add your egg product your egg whites or egg yolks or a mixture thereof uh, to be able to incorporate that in there to, until it's the right consistency of the dough and then you're able to add your cheese and chives and all that stuff in there and then you're able to um, get them um, onto a cookie sheet mm -hmm. and be able to bake them off that way. And what happens is basically the heat uh, makes the butter evaporate and the eggs help hold it together. So it actually creates a puff mm -hmm. and the egg itself is what helps prevent it from just sort of blowing up. And so it, that's why it rises and becomes a puff oh, and wow. creates the hollows and the laces in there. And what I love is the Gruyere cheese uh, that uh, from Omarche mm -hmm. uh, that is able to uh, kind of all bind it together to make it really chewy and, and gooey and yummy and everything. Mm. Uh, I love cheese, and I went through a cheese making phase as well, oh, wow. <laughs> but it's not very easy. No, anyway. yeah, the texture on them is so cool because the inside is very like moist and springy, but then the outside has that nice like snap to it, you know, when yeah. you bite into it, and it's really mm -hmm. kind of a cool contrast. Yeah, and they're real forgiving on the, the reheat. That's what I really enjoy about them, you know, for my home use is that, you know, any misfires can easily go in my freezer and then uh, they just toast up so nicely to be nice and kind of crispy again. Mm. And uh, they're yummy, yummy. Yeah, I, I really like uh, I like that suggestion of uh, an egg sandwich. Egg sandwich. There. Mm, oh, so yeah. Have, yeah, we've got two left in our box and I think that's tomorrow's <laughs> breakfast. So, yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other any other things you yeah? Well, I, I think the other thing too to, to mention there. I think that's a, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, the fact that they're they freeze really well too. So that's really nice. That's a nice idea for if you ever want to buy them and just you know store some from later. That's always, that's always nice to. That's yeah. a good idea. Because even I though I could eat all six at once, I mean maybe <laughs> I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've thought about actually offering them uh, in the past uh, either uh, raw, frozen in a, in a state like that for people to buy. It's just mm. there's uh, uh, a lot of 
technical stuff with regard to how you bake them. You don't just throw them in the oven to let them bake. You have to do a, a very high temperature for a period of time and then you to create the shell and create it uh, to be able to hold its shape mm -hmm. so it doesn't collapse. And then you need to cook it at a lower temperature to be able to cook it through. So it's not just cooked on the outside and raw in the center. So it's not anything easy to do. So I think that selling it in a raw state would probably uh, lead to some disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. As it, as it yeah. did for me the many times that I've made it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and once again, everyone has a different oven. So. Yeah, yeah, true. Exactly. It would be hard to... <laughs> hard to guarantee success, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> but it just, yeah, it just is also great. But um, you, you mentioned, um, you, you did you mention there you're getting the Gruyere cheese from Au Marche, but I, I mm -hmm. wanted to also just ask, so yeah, obviously uh, one place where you can fire your macarons and... You can even pick up, you know, pick up a lot of your products. Uh, do a pickup at, at El Marche. So how'd that connection come about with El Marche? Yeah, um, my brother is a realtor uh, for many, many years here in town, Tom Harper, mm -hmm. and uh, he's also uh, involved in uh, Lawrence Modern with mm -hmm. mid-century modern things, and so he knows a lot of people. Needless to say, yeah. and so uh, he, through the years, had uh, known Laura Wiley from Omar Shea, mm -hmm. and uh, he had uh, uh, has a degree in social work as well. My brother does, oh, so cool. he often says that I, he's a matchmaker. <laughs> so whether it's for real estate or for whatever, so uh, he was able to uh, identify that with uh, my macarons that Omar Shea seemed like a good fit. Yeah. Uh, and so we were able to meet. I was able to uh, give Alora some uh, macarons to try, and uh, and really wasn't sure I wanted to go in that direction of being able to of uh, having that wholesale and retail kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you start a business, you think you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, and sometimes mm -hmm. the business tells you how you're going to do it. But uh, I was real excited to hear that she was interested in carrying the product, and uh, I think. Uh, the macarons are one of the top sellers for her at the store oh, and wow. uh, you know I'm, I'm filling orders for her of 20 dozen cookies a week wow, you know? that's and awesome. so uh, it's just been amazing and uh, she's so great to work with and yeah. the store's got so much neat stuff in there mm -hmm. and uh, it's just uh, uh, really cool you know I have to brag to be able to have my caramels in the display case with Christopher Elbow I mean, and yeah. other other chocolatiers stuff in there not that it's the same stuff but uh you know, I think it's my caramels are pretty good. You yeah. know what I mean? And so uh, she uh, recently made the decision to start carrying those as well. So it's exciting. Yeah. It's really oh, exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. We, we, we lo love Laura. She's so nice. Yeah. It was yeah. great to be able to talk with her a few episodes ago. But yeah, yeah it, it, um, yeah, it just made a lot of sense when I think we saw it. It was like, you know, when we, yeah, when we saw it, I was like, oh, they're offering a Oh Marche too. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, I just, yeah, it, it's such a cool store because, yeah, we, we love. And we love going there and just, just shopping around just because yeah, there's always some cool product that you mm -hmm. just don't find somewhere else there. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, it's cool. To, it's always cool too when she, you know, obviously a lot, a lot of their, the things they carry are, you know, the cool like, you know, things that are from somewhere, you know, imported or, or you know, some kind of European uh, thing. But uh, it's cool when you're like, oh, you know, it, it, this is made locally. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She does a good job of finding that too. Yeah, yeah she does. She's really supportive. Other than that, I, I want to just highlight. So yeah, so just, we talked, we kind of touched on it there, but like yeah. So what is the process? You know, if, if people are looking to, uh, if their mouths are watering like like, like mine is right now, um, <laughs> what, what what's the best way for them to kind of place an order or or or, or find your stuff? Sure. So uh, 
the, the main model that I kind of set up when I started the business was ordering through our website, paulsbetterbakery.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I'm not a, a mass producer of everything, it's basically a request form that you would fill out, and which is t- to make sure I don't get an order for stuff I don't have yeah. uh, and can't commit to. And so I don't have you pay the minute that you put the request in. I, I look at the order, make sure I can do the delivery when you want it uh, in Lawrence and uh, and get that to you right away. I mean, I had an order this morning and I delivered this afternoon. And so oh, awesome. it's one of the funnest part of what I do is actually being able to get out and explore the town. And so uh, mm-hmm. with the pandemic and the way that everything kind of closed down, uh, the idea of doing that delivery service really helped jumpstart me into being able to be known as well as get out and see people. And you mm-hmm. know, I'm a people person. I really enjoy meeting people and even briefly on the porch with a mask or what, however it's mm-hmm. working out. But uh, it's been really, really fun doing that. And then as well, Omarche uh, has uh, all of our macarons as well as the um, uh, caramels. And right now I'm the only one who sells the Gougere through the website. And uh, mm-hmm. those take a little bit of uh, preemptive thought for ordering those just uh, because I make them and bake them the day of the order. And so those are baked fresh for every order. And so I need to make sure that I uh, have the time to do that. So I got got my parents with medical appointments and different things going on. And so I need to uh, make sure that I uh, can meet that need for folks. So it's been really, really good fun. Um, Are there any upcoming projects that you're working on? Yeah, I'm uh, working with uh, a couple local businesses uh, one about a potential new uh, way for me to share some of my products and the other with a uh, development of a new product. And mm. so uh, a product line of something kind of near and dear to me. And so uh, as that un- unveils itself, then we'll be able to see, uh, share more information about that. Mm. Uh, Exciting. It's been amazing. Yeah. And the growth, you know, just exposure through social media, which is really my only kind of source of advertising other than word of mouth. Uh, you know, I think I've got 900 followers on Instagram from 25 when I started, Wow! you know, and, uh, over 550 on Facebook. It's just, it's amazing what, how people really are engaged. And I have to admit, I had never really even gone into Instagram until I sort of was getting this business startup. So Wow, that's awesome. Would that be a good place to sort of follow along for any updates on the new projects? Yeah, yeah. Paul at Paul's Better Bakery is my Instagram handle, and uh, and so yeah, uh, it's 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 a fun way to showcase what I do. Uh, There's a learning curve on that as well, uh, definitely for the technology side of things. But (laughs) uh, it's neat. I'm really excited about introducing the Gougere because it's something different. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, the development phase has a lot of trial and error to get things to be where I'm ready to to share them. And Mm -hmm. so uh, as I'm able to roll out some new things, we'll go from there. Yeah, your products definitely are uh, catered to like a visual, you know, a nice visual on Instagram or something like that. So that's what's really cool. One other question we've kind of been asking everyone is uh, what's uh, with the pandemic and everything, what is, uh, what's your go-to takeout or patio dining spot in town? You know, I have to shout out to Cellar Door. Mm, uh, yeah. I, I just love their, yeah, <laughs> their food there is so good. I, I can't, uh, I won't admit on air how many uh, uh, financiers <laughs> I eat per week. Oh my God, uh, they're our favorite. But no financier, yeah, whenever we go there, we always have to get them. 
Yeah, those things are, are incredible. And uh, so uh, just, I love that place. I want to give a shout out to another local baker here in town, uh, Chonky. Mm. They're at Lawrence Farmer's Market yeah. and yeah. a couple of guys that do some bakery stuff. And uh, I'm a regular for their cherry amaretto cake. It's Ooh. to die for. And so between that and the financiers, my uh, calorie count is met every week. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of good options, a uh, lot of good options in town. But <laughs> Yeah, and Lucky Sebs, I want to shout out to them Ooh. as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, their dumplings are really yummy. They're so really, good. Really, really yummy. Yes. I think we're reaching regular status at Lucky Sebs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's been uh, it's been great to hear more about kind of how this all came to be. And uh, yeah, just really glad to have you here. Glad you glad you decided to move to town. Um, cause yeah, we, we, we love, love everything you're doing there. So, um, well, thank you so much. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I think everyone should make sure to check out your, you know, like you said, your Instagram, uh, check out your website. Oh, Marche display case. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I really appreciate your time having me on here and, uh, look forward to the upcoming podcast as I review some of the older ones that I've missed. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lawrence Forking, Kansas. We had a great time chatting with Paul Harper O'Connor of Paul's Better Bakery. And if you're able to support the local food scene during this time, we encourage you to do so. I mean, like we always highlight on this podcast, I mean, there's just so many delicious, so much delicious food, beer, coffee, macarons. You got all different uh, pastries available to you. So many local businesses, and they're all doing some kind of delivery, takeout. Um, you can eat on the patio so you can get a lot even with all the um, weird things with COVID going around so anyway just make sure to check out your local farmers markets too it's peak season um, and yeah just continue supporting all the local businesses that are out there Another way to help keep supporting local businesses is to please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating so other people can find out about various food businesses here in town. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Lawrence Forking Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. You know, feel free to find our pages, like us, subscribe us, leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. We always love to hear the feedback. Um, and something really cool that's it's fairly new is we are included in a new initiative called the 785 Collective. Um, it is a, a, something that the Lawrence Times uh, has put together on their website to help pull together uh, all local podcasts um, and different other kind of media projects like that are just being brought together on that 785 Collective. So really cool to see. Um, you know, there are a bunch of other local podcasts in Lawrence. Um, and it's really nice to be able to see everything else that's out there. So go check it out at 785collective.com. And um, yeah, go subscribe to some other great local podcasts. And if you're a restaurant or a food business owner here in town and you're interested in coming on our show, please just go ahead and reach out on social media or you can send us an email at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We are always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on the show. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.